I'm going to record our Bible studies too. So Lord willing, you know, if you can't make it on a Sunday, you won't be skipping. See, I, we came from the West Coast. And this time of year, we would see a sudden drop off in, especially in male attendees at worship, you know, <clears throat> because the NFL games would start at 10 o'clock, right? And so in Washington, those Seahawks fans, oh, bastard, just oh, couldn't make it today. Wasn't feeling great. Had to just sit in front of the boob tube. Um, you don't have that excuse here because, A, you don't want to watch the Lions anyway. And, B, even if you did, they don't start. <laughs> so, um, glad that you're here. Excited for this study. So, let me uh, start us with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get after it. Blessed Lord, we thank you for your truth and for your mercy that endures forever. Lord, you come and you meet us as we gather together for worship. You feed and nourish us. And we pray that as we turn to your scriptures now, that you would be with us as well, Lord. Encourage us, edify us, build us up in the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we're getting started and just kind of um, getting into this, I'm always kind of curious, you know, what people's backgrounds are and what their familiarity is with um, with the topic we're going to get into. So maybe the first question I have is, how many of y'all um, just kind of born and raised in a Lutheran church? Like, you, you know, you came in, you were, as soon as you were born, they fed you some sauerkraut, they took you to a potluck, you were baptized. No. Um, so show of hands, how many of you just born and raised in Lutheran church? Okay. How many of you uh, have grown up in a different church other than Lutheran? Okay number of you there, too. How many of you grew up in no church at all? Okay, a couple, a couple there, too. Um, what we're going to talk about in this study is something that, for me, uh, you guys mostly know my background. I grew up kind of Lutheran Catholic, or after I wrote that piece for the Lutheran Witness, a guy wrote me a letter. He said, I have the same background, but I call it, I'm a, a Catherine, a Catholic <laughs> Lutheran. So, Catherine. so I grew up a Catherine um, in both sides of it. And to be honest, I would go to worship um, one week with my dad at his Catholic church and go to Mass. And the next week, I'd go with my mom to the Lutheran church. And I didn't notice a huge difference. It was like, you sit up, you stand down. You stand up, you sit down. Sit up, stand up. Sit up. <laughs> you stand up, you sit down. You know, you, they, the priest says something, you say something, you sing some songs. It seemed like basically the same thing was going on. And on the surface of it, there is a lot of similarities. I mean, and not just on the surface of it, there's a lot of things that are in common. We both say the creed, for instance. There's um, several elements of the liturgy that are more or less the same. But the deeper uh, substance is very different. And we'll be seeing some of those differences as we go along. We'll also see that much of what is in Lutheran worship is just Christian biblical worship. That the way that we worship today is the way that Christians, in, in some cases, have been worshiping for 2,000 years. And in, in some cases, even before the time of Christ, that we continue to carry forward a, a tradition that started with the Jews before the time of Jesus. So in the course of this study, we'll be bringing out some uh, historical sorts of things, drawing on that. But what I especially want to do is to show the biblical foundations of how we worship and, and the way that we do, um, to see some of the, the theological um, uh, implications of that, and then get to the practical application. So I think of it as, what did it mean? What, what did it mean? What does it mean? What will it mean? Okay. Those three sides of it. I want to look at all of that when it comes to the way we worship. But as we get after it today, we're doing just kind of an introduction. I want to talk about worship more generally. And start out with this question, what is 
worship. What is worship? It's one of those words and ideas that you're like, I know what it is. I mean, it's something that happens all the time. But if you were to put it into words, into a definition, how would you define it? What is worship? Not going to the golf course. Not going to the golf course. What? You can't worship at the golf course? Okay, fair enough. Good. Or perhaps you're worshiping at the, the, worshiping the golf course itself. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Other thoughts. What is worship? Yeah, Peggy. Praise. 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 God. Okay. Praising God. Very good. Other things. Other definitions you get. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Very good. Our forgiveness of others or, or God's forgiveness of us? Both. <laughs> yes. Again, anytime there's those or questions around here, you guys know me well enough that the answer is yes. <laughs> honor. Honor. Okay, so honoring someone and something. Very good. Building a relationship. Building a relationship. Very good. Coming into God's presence. Coming into God's presence. Excellent. It's a public testimony. Okay, a public testimony. We, we don't worship um, in private hiding. We're, it's a public thing, public gathering. Very good. Other than worship? Offerings and sacrifice. Offerings and sacrifice. Very good. And again, we'd say the offerings and sacrifice we make for God, but also what he does for us. Good. All of this factors into what worship is. And today I hope to give you a real succinct um, definition and understanding of worship um, that in many ways includes stuff that you've been talking about but also maybe a, just gives a bigger, larger framework for understanding the nature of, of worship and how we as human beings fit into it. So I want to start by making a distinction or a contrast. And um, if, if some of you were in worship a few weeks ago, I, I shared this, so this will be a re review for you. Um, but for the rest of you, I, I hope this is helpful. So what is worship? On the one hand, you have what we could call the natural perspective or the conventional perspective on what worship is. Worship is what we as humans do for God or for the gods. Because one of the things that um, is true with this conventional or natural perspective on worship is that this isn't just like a, um, a certain Christian attitude. Like this, this transcends cultures and religions. So, for example, if you go back to um, the ancient Greek religions and you look at the way that they approached the gods, Zeus and Aphrodite and all the other gods, they fundamentally viewed it about this is what we do for the gods to get them off our back. See? Or because you want something to go well for you. You make a sacrifice to the gods. Say, okay, I have done this for you. This is also the I scratched your back, you scratch mine view of worship. See, God, I scratch your back, now you do something for me. I remember one of my most fervent times of prayer was when I was, uh, I think, a junior in high school. Yeah, I was a junior in high school, and it was springtime. It was around the time of Easter. And uh, I remember uh, very vividly, we were um, gathered together in worship, and I was at the communion rail, and uh, my heart was just filled with so much desire to pray to God because that day, Michigan State was in the Elite Eight. <laughs> if you just give me this, I just want to go to the Final Four, just once. This must have been 1999. If only you will do this, I will be faithful to you, I will be true. You ever prayed a prayer like that? That's effectively a pagan prayer <laughs> because it's like, God, I'll do this for you, 
I'll offer you my prayers. Incidentally, the Spartans did win that game. <laughs> then they went to the final for the next two years, too, so that was a really good prayer. <laughs> um, where it's, this is what we do for God, okay? And there are Christian versions of this, as well as I would say that this is the, kind of the default for any other world religions, that worship is about things that we're doing for God to appease him. Now, the scriptures themselves, God himself, critiques and rebukes this up and down. Um, let me just give you one example here from Psalm 50 on your handout. It says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Uh, God here is critiquing an attitude towards sacrifice in which the people thought, okay, we need to do this basically to buy God off. With our sacrifices, we are going to bribe God for his favor and his forgiveness. See? And how does God respond to that? Does he say, yes, please, I need those sacrifices? No. He says, if I were hungry, and I'm God, by the way, but if I were hungry, would I tell you? See, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. It's not that God needs those sacrifices or that he is, so to speak, you know, has low self-esteem or something like that. Um, we'll get to why God does institute sacrifices. We'll talk more about that. But at this point, suffice it to say, God doesn't need those sacrifices, right? He says, no, this is, this is not the point. You guys have missed it if you think it's about what you can offer to me. All right. Now, um, think of this natural perspective on worship. Does that make sense? Uh, is, is this something that you've observed or you can kind of envision what that's like or, or see that around? Nod your heads. Any questions about that part? <clears throat> okay, so on the one hand, you have the, this natural perspective or conventional view of worship, about what we do for God. As you see with the diagram there, I say this is you know, kind of the St. Louis Arch, right? It's people down here on the ground, we offer God our praise, our prayers, our sacrifices, our obedience, our good works. All of these things, we offer them up to God and we hope that, okay, maybe that appeases him, and he responds to us with his favor, with his blessing, etc. All right, but here's, on the flip side, the biblical perspective. The biblical perspective of worship is not what we do for God, it's what God does for us. That worship is fundamentally about what God does for you. So this is what I call, very elegantly, the inverted St. Louis Arch view of worship. Right? <laughs> um, you've got the, the picture there. Where notice on the first one in the top that the the uh, uh, the initial actor, the one who is getting things started, is who? People. People. But down at the bottom, who's getting things started? God. God. See, from a biblical perspective, God is the one who is always doing the initiating. See, He's the one who reaches out to His wayward people. 
He's the good shepherd who goes in search of the lost sheep. He's the one who seeks us out, who comes down to us, who pleads with us, who offers to us again and again um, his mercy to come and speak to us. And then after he comes down to us and blesses us and gives us his favor by grace, then we respond. More about that in a minute. But worship is this fundamentally about what God does for us. This is a huge kind of paradigm shift, if I can put it that way. Because what I observe among so many religious people, Christian and otherwise, is this idea that I need to basically buy God off. That I need to perform for him so that he will be kind and gracious to me. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's all about what God does for you and me. And our lives, our Christian lives, are lived not as a way to merit or to gain or even to keep his favor, but simply and solely as an outflow of the favor that we already received by grace. You with me? And the story that I, I love to share, and this is why this came up a few weeks ago, um, to, to illustrate this is the story of Mary and Martha, right? Uh, this is from Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right. Uh, I'll say again here what I, what I said then. Uh, well, at our old church, there was a sign in the church kitchen that said uh, something to the effect of, all the nice thoughts and all the good wishes never replace help with the dishes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you can't help but read this story and, and sympathize with Martha and say, look, somebody's got to do the dishes, Right? Jesus, if you want to have some soup on the table, somebody's got to make it, okay? Um, the Instapot still needs somebody to put the thing in the pot, right? Um, but Jesus is not disparaging Martha's service. He is pointing to her to what is essential. The word essential means what is of the essence. What is the most important thing? In that sermon on this um, passage last month, um, I talked about a priority, Remember this, that the word priority came into the English language in the Middle Ages, and it was always in the singular, because priority means the prior thing, the thing that your number one thing. And so it was only ever used in a singular sense, because of course, you can only have one priority. But if you look at those big fancy dictionaries, the ones that have all the word histories, like the, the Oxford English Dictionary, it point out that in the last hundred years, we, Americans especially, have become very adept at using priority in the plural. Now we have priorities because we say, well, let's see, this thing is number one, and this thing is number one, and this thing is number one. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like simple physics would tell you this is not possible, y'all. You can only be one thing that's first and uttermost. This is what Jesus is saying. Not that service doesn't matter, not that doing the dishes is unimportant, but that your priority is always and ever to receive from God. It's first and foremost about what he is doing for you, not what you are doing for him, all right? And this is what Jesus himself says. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. It's an astounding sentence. The Son of God, the Son of Man, God incarnate, did not come down to creation in order that he might have, we found one of these in, in my basement, one of those fancy old fans, you know, so he could do one of these, like, okay, yes, Peter, give me some grapes. Yes, serve me. But just the opposite, and in the most astounding, unbelievable kind of way. I mean, we, we view this, the, the serving par excellence, in addition to the cross, of course, is Jesus stooping down to wash his disciples' feet. The work of, of a slave for his master. This is what Jesus does for his disciples. Washes his disciples' feet. He did not come to be served, but to serve, and that's still true today. This is why in, in Lutheran worship, we, uh, we call it the divine service. Not because we are serving the divine, because we're serving God, but because of the divine, because God himself is serving you and me. See? Worship is not fundamentally or essentially what we do for God. It's what God does for us. All right. Everybody with me so far? Any questions or clarifications to this point? This is something I talk about a lot, and so I know for um, several of you, you're probably like, okay, Pastor, yes, we've heard you say it so many times. You love Mary and Martha. You tell the same jokes every time. We get it. Imagine being married to me, okay? <laughs> Number two on your handout. So worship is essentially, at its essence, about receiving God's gifts. This is, this is the basic orientation of the whole thing. Receiving, receiving, receiving. Once you have an eye for it, it's astounding how often it's coming up in the scriptures. Old Testament and New Testament. Right there at the beginning of John's gospel, you have this beautiful line. For from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. And maybe it's just the way that I'm wired or the fact that we just heard the story of Mary and Martha. I always think of like a heaping helping of Mashed potato and gravy grace. <laughs> like grace upon grace. Like the Lord just keeps ladling it on you. And you're like, okay, yep, that's probably good. All right, I need another plate. This is who God is for you and me. From his fullness, the fullness of God, we have all received grace upon grace. Or again, when the family and I, we visited Niagara Falls this, uh, this summer. And sometimes we think of, of God's grace like straining a little bit of water out of a mostly dry washcloth. When in fact his grace is like standing underneath Niagara Falls and just being bowled over with the power and the presence of his love for you and me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. In 1 Corinthians, Paul asks uh, one of these lovely rhetorical questions. He says, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? The assumed question is, or the assumed answer is, nothing. You've received everything. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, anytime you find a person, especially a religious person, who has that kind of smug attitude of pride and self-righteousness, which we are all prone to, you're probably finding somebody or looking in the mirror at somebody who has been a little bit too high on his horse about what he's doing for God rather than what God is doing for him. Acting as though you didn't receive everything. When, in point of fact, all of life is gift and grace. Why do you act then as if you did not receive it? Everything comes from him. 
So in uh, what we call our Lutheran confessions, uh, the, um, the foundational teachings of the Lutheran Church, one of those is the apology or the defense of the Augsburg Confession, um, has this lovely line. It says that the worship and divine service of the gospel is to receive gifts from God. So I asked you at the beginning, what is the definition of, of worship? What is worship really all about? All those things that you said were true, but the most fundamental, simplest definition of worship that you can give is this. Worship is to receive gifts from God. Now, that is a pretty remarkable thing. Because I, I noticed with your answers, which were not bad or wrong answers, it tends to focus on what we're doing for God, don't they? The, the things that we're offering him, things that we're doing for him. That's okay, and we'll get to where, the, um, where the, the place for that is. But it's essentially, primarily, about us receiving from him. God is most delighted when we're just receiving from him. He's most delighted just to give to us. That's his nature. That line, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which comes from the Lord. That's in the scriptures. Sometimes you hear lines like that, and you're like, okay, is that from Ben Franklin or is that from Jesus? You know, God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Okay. It is more blessed to give than to receive in the Bible. Jesus says that. It's recorded in the Acts, actually. But that is most true of God's attitude toward you and me. For him, it is more blessed to give to you and me than it is for him to receive from us. doesn't mean he's not also delighted to receive from us our prayers, our praise, our lives of obedience, but he's most overjoyed simply to pour out the blessings upon us. I think of you know Ebenezer Scrooge after his <laughs> conversion and transformation, right? And he wants to get the biggest turkey, and he just wants to run around and start giving gifts all over the place. That's God every day. That's God every day. It doesn't sound right to say God is a Scrooge in that way, but you understand. Scrooge in the good part of the story. It's funny because that happens, and we all know that happens at the end of the story, but still, if you call somebody a Scrooge, nobody thinks, oh, a really generous, loving person? You know, we all think of the miser. So, Sorry, Scrooge. <clears throat> um, I want to share, I share a, a little bit longer passage, and this is from a book oh, I brought it today. Uh, I really I recommend this very much. It's called Grace Upon Grace, uh, Spirituality for Today. It doesn't necessarily sound like the most engaging kind of thing, but trust me, this is an incredible read um, by John Kleinig. Some of you will have heard of, of John Kleinig. He's yeah. been a guest up here at camp before. Um, this book is just so rich. And a uh, uh, quick story about John Kleinig. He's, he's about a five foot three Australian guy. And he's just like this dynamo, so much power. He's just like wound up, okay? So um, when Ann and I, when we were at seminary, um, we lived in the married housing, and it was like a fourplex, okay? And next to us was our Australian friends, the Lockwoods, Michael and uh, Naomi. Naomi. They lived right next door. Well, one morning, uh, it's a Saturday morning, I get a knock at the door about 7.30. Who is knocking at my door at 7.30? And I go to answer, answer the door probably in my boxer shorts or something. And uh, I open the door, and there is this small man right there. Hello, is Michael Lockwood here? Is that an Australian accent? I don't know what that is. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was like, um, he lives next door. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. I'm John Kleinig. Yeah. Like, first time I meet John Kleinig is in my pajamas. And uh, 
there is, but just a lovely man. So I want to read to you a passage from the introduction of, of that book. Okay, so he says this. This orthodox evangelical tradition of piety, now it's a mouthful, but just stay with me. It has deep biblical and theological roots. Its chief characteristic is reception from Christ, the exercise of faith in him and reliance on him for everything. This kind of receptive spirituality, it's a lovely phrase, receptive spirituality, presupposes that Christ not only brings the Holy Spirit and all the Father's gifts to us, but also brings us with him into the Father's presence. That sounds a little bit like what I talked about in the sermon today. I hope it does, because this is our inspiration. The focus on reception as the foundation for Christian spirituality is Lutheran, with its emphasis on the gospel and on our access to the grace of God the Father through faith in Christ. Yet it's also Orthodox and Catholic, for by this reception of life from Christ, we're drawn into the life of the Holy Trinity. Receptive spirituality embeds the life of the believer in the family of God and the church. Okay, So what Kleinig is saying here is, look, what our life of faith he uses the word spirituality. And I know when you hear that word, maybe your, the flag goes up a little bit. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Like, you know, you picture all kinds of weird New Age mumbo jumbo or something like that. But spirituality is uh, basically about how do you exercise your faith? How do you live in the life of faith? And he's saying it's basically about receiving all the way down, receiving good gifts from God day by day. All right. So then number three on your hand out there, worship forms us in faith for better or for worse. Worship forms us in faith for better or for worse. What do I mean by that? Well, let's read this passage from Psalm 115, then I'll say a little bit more. Psalm 115, verses 2 through 8 says this. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them them, so do all who trust in them. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The basic principle is this, you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. Let's put the pause button there for just a second and think about, not in like a religious sense, think about where do, how do you see that played out in society at large, where what you worship, not in this you know, Christian biblical sense, but in that more just kind of broad sense of the things that you really offer yourself to or what's most important and valuable in your life. Can you think of any examples of where you can see this where people become like what they worship or the thing that they worship just sort of takes over their, takes over their life? Anybody? What's that? Their job. Their job. And, and how so? What would that look like for someone to worship their job and then for well, that? somebody who is so focused on that part of their life, they don't have an, another life outside their family, yeah. everything gets left behind. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let me share a chilling story to you that I, I heard the other day, and I won't um, I'll, uh, guard the innocent here, but uh, a friend of mine told me he was, he was visiting with another guy and his family, and they were going to go mountain biking. And this guy lives in a beautiful part of the state, and he was 
Um, he really expected that they would have gone mountain biking before, but they said, this is the first time that we as a family have, have gone mountain biking, so we're glad that you can come with us. And my buddy says to the, the guy's wife, how have you not gone biking before? Like, you guys, seems like you're all about the outdoors and everything. And straight-faced, she says to him, in front of her husband, we are so neglected. We are so neglected. Because this was a man whose job had been so all-consuming that he would sacrifice his family, so to speak, on that altar of his work. What you worship is what you become like. Hmm. Other examples of that. Yeah. Could drugs be a worship? Absolutely. I mean, look, addiction is its own beast, right? But in that way, it really exemplifies this is like what happens. is your life becomes all-consuming, all wrapped up into this. And that's a terrifying thing to see. Yeah. I think some people worship their children or grandchildren. Oh. It's all about doing for them. Sure. And when they grow up and leave, they're right. like lost. Yeah, right. It's like uh, if you make the kids into a little idol, and the, you know, the easiest uh, examples of this would be like you know, when there's those beauty pageant kinds of kids or something like that. But it, it can happen for any of us that if you make your kids or even your grandkids, maybe more easily your grandkids probably, um, into a, an idol, then um, yeah, I mean, they are meant to be loved, not, not idolized, all right? Totally. Yes, what they call the helicopter parents, right? Yeah. Now, Ann and I, maybe we've gone too far in the other direction. We're more of the free-range parents. Cage-free. Don't worry, cage-free. <laughs> Organic. Yeah, there's some other ones over here, too. So, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. But then I think parenting can also be an idol. People totally, say, oh, yeah. I'm a tiger mom. I'm a, I'm a yes. free-range mom. Yep. Yep, and that's what you worship, and so your whole life becomes wrapped up and consumed in them, having this certain identity. Yeah. Sports. Sports. Yes. Now, what are you thinking about? Sports that you play, or like sp sports oh, that you watch? I mean, television can get into a certain sport so much that yeah. takes over your life. Yes. Whether they're participating or they're. Yeah. Well, okay. Great example of this recently. I, I wanted to write about this. I just have, haven't gotten around to it yet. But um, any Colts fans in here? Trigger warning here. Okay, no Colts. So you probably heard about this. Their quarterback, Andrew Luck, retired. Okay, he's 29 years old. He's just shy of 30 years old. And he retired as a quarterback. And the day that he retires, the word kind of got leaked out. It was during a preseason game. And this is a man who, for I think seven years, has just given everything he has to the Colts, to the city, sacrificed his health and everything, done his best. And as he's walking off the field, what did the fans do? They booed him. They booed him. How dare you? We were so ready to, you know, to reach the summit, but now it's like their God has, has crumbled. Now, to be fair, when Barry Sanders retired early, I wept like a little baby. It's like, it's like what? How can you do this to me, Barry? Um, but, yeah, it, just, it goes to show. What about some of these Silicon Valley? And I'm trying to think of the guy who wants to go to Mars. He's got all his money. Oh, and, and Elon this, Musk? Yeah, Musk. Tesla guy? And, and, um, and then the Facebook guy. I mean, their lives. Totally. And, well, I have relatives out that are in sure. Silicon Valley, and I can. 
Well, but you know, you're right. I mean, technology very much so. And I've mentioned this before. There's there's research and money too. Um, but there's research showing now that um, when we use our smartphones, that it activates the same sensors in our head as when we worship at church. Oh, really? When you when you are on your smartphone, see, we are you know kneeling at that altar. Yes. Yeah. 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 My brother is helping him to learn that. But, and so it's through a website. They both go to the website and they figure things out together and do cool experiments. But like I was looking around on that website, you know, like you do as a parent, you're like, what's my kid into? Yeah. And I came across not really an article, but just kind of a little section of it that said, tech will save us. It's kind of like a right. raw tech. Right. And I'm like, whoa, that is a really explicit statement. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, we're yep. really, we're really saying what we You kind of here. appreciate that almost. Yeah, like, right? okay, good. You've at least just been real clear yeah. about your goals <laughs> here. Yeah. It's a jealous God, though. It is a jealous God. Yeah, go ahead. It's interesting. Warren Buffett just this week um, gave six important things. He's 89. Right. He's, you know, the multimillionaire. Right. And, yeah. um, and he wrote various things, and they all were, um, you find someone that you can really love and, and about marriage and so forth, uh, good things, but not one thing was about God. Mm. And he's quite a benevolent giver along sure. the gates. Right. But, um, and it's a good thing to read if you want to. Yeah. And we like his stock. Right, right, right. No, the, I mean, he's a, he's a good guy. No, we can but still say. Of, I've never seen, and we've gone back to those meetings yeah. in Omaha, but um, it, you never, I've never seen him ever other than his giving, yeah. but you know, giving camps many motivations. Well, maybe he's Lutheran. He's just, he He's too humble. He's too humble. Well, we can't hear the, what the person is saying, so we have no idea what's going on up there. Bill Gates, read about what he thinks is important oh, in life. Sorry. Yeah. So what she was talking about Warren Buffett. Um, Warren Warren Buffett was saying uh, did one of these things. The six important things to know about life. Christian type, but he didn't once mention. Yeah, no mention of, we, of God at all. If we don't mention it, we're not right. getting messages. So all this to say that um, what we worship forms us in faith, for better or for worse. Makes a, we become the kind of people who worship our jobs or worship our sports teams or worship this, that, or the other thing rather than worshiping Christ. But in the worship of God, in the faithful worship of God, we are, on the flip side, being conformed more and more to his likeness. So 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, beholding the glory of the Lord. So we are worshiping Him, receiving from Him. We're being transformed more and more into his likeness. Worship forms us. You become like what you worship, for better or for worse. So then, number four on your handout, in Lutheran worship, in Christian worship, we are being formed in a rhythm of receiving and responding. Receiving and responding. See, This is the, the essence of how we are being formed in the faith. We're being formed in this rhythm of faith. 
Now, I don't know, how many good dancers do we have here? Any? Do we have? I know we do. We've got a few good dancers here. I'm not one of them. But it's that idea of rhythm, of this back and forth, receiving from God and then responding to Him. Receiving and responding. Boom, boom, boom. That's what we are made for. And that's what worship forms us in, this rhythm of living with Him and receiving from him. There's uh, this lovely, in the old uh, blue hymnal, the Lutheran worship hymnal, the introduction was written by a guy named Norman Nagel, who had this lovely introduction. I'm going to read from this for you here. It's on your handout. It says, our Lord speaks and we listen. His word bestows what it says. Faith that is born from what is heard acknowledges the gifts received with eager thankfulness and praise. The rhythm, there's that word, the rhythm of our worship is from him to us and then from us back to him. He gives his gifts and together we receive and extol them. We build one another up as we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Our Lord gives us his body to eat and his blood to drink. Finally, his blessing moves us into our calling where, we, where his gifts have their fruition. How best to do this we may learn from his word and from the way his word has prompted his worship through the centuries. We are heirs of an astonishingly rich tradition. Each generation receives from those who went before, and in making that tradition of the divine service its own, adds what, may best, what best may serve in its own day, the living heritage and something new. So it's this rhythm of receiving and responding. Receiving and responding. And um, as I said a few weeks ago, um, for anybody Seinfeld fans out there, and... You remember, if you ever watched Seinfeld, Elaine Bennis, she's one of the characters, and she was notorious for her dancing. You know, kind of look, it's like one of these. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, that might even be too good. Um, she's out of rhythm. And this is what happens to us when we don't live in that rhythm of receiving and responding. You know it, you can feel it kind of in your gut when you're out of rhythm, Right? It's, it's like, um, well, I think I had said at that time, like what uh, Samwise Gamgee says in Lord of the Rings, felt like too little butter spread over too much bread, right? <laughs> when you have that feeling, you're out of rhythm, see? You're probably not receiving from God, but just giving and giving and giving. Or to change the metaphor a little bit, you're like a car that doesn't have the oil, right? And you just... The pistons keep pumping, but you just do not have that lubrication that you need, and pretty soon you're going to what? burn out. Yeah, you're going to burn out. And you've seen that. Maybe you've been there before, where suddenly you're yelling at your kids or co-workers or neighbors, your spouse, and you don't even know why. Like, why am I so mad about this? And they're like, I don't know! Because you're out of rhythm. Same. Out of rhythm. We live in the rhythm of receiving and responding, and this is how worship forms us. And into this rhythm. Everybody with me there? All right. And so then finally, uh, number five on, on your handout, we receive from his fullness to share from his fullness. We receive from his fullness to share from his fullness. In other words, it's not just so that we may receive all these gifts from God and then hoard them away. There's many scriptures that speak against this. You, but um, maybe you remember, especially back in the Old Testament, when um, God's people, when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, and he provided them with the manna from heaven. You remember this? Mm -hmm. But God told them, 
Okay, now take as much as what you need for today, but if you take too much and you try to hoard it, what's going to happen to it? It, It's going to spoil. It's going to rot right away. And so people are like, well, let's just test them on that. And sure enough, it's breeding worms. It says, it bred worms and stanketh. Okay? So uh, you can't hoard it. And spiritually speaking, we look at that as, look, the gifts of God are meant to be received with thanksgiving, to be used, and to be shared with others. Uh, Martin Luther has a a beautiful image for how this works with, with worship. He says, it's like we come to God, we come on a Sunday morning with an empty sack. Okay, You're used up, you're spent, you're tired. We come, we say, dear God, I've got an empty sack. As we gather for worship, God starts filling your sack. And he says, here, I have a word of forgiveness for you. Boom, take it. It's yours. Here is is my word and my promises spoken for you. Take it. It's in the bag. It's in the bag. And he says, here's my body and blood given for you. Take it. It's in the bag. And over and over and over again, and God fills up your sack. You come empty and depleted, and he says, let me fill it up for you. Let me, let me replenish what you have there. So then we leave worship, like you know, St. Saint, Saint Nick, with the big old full sack uh, out, out the door, and we go on our way throughout the week, and we come across somebody who has harmed us or who's done ill to us, and the, you know, they're sorry for it. We say, wait a second, I've got something in my sack for that. I've got some forgiveness. Take it, right? You find somebody who's having a difficult time and just you know, is in need of some mercy, and you say, I've got something for you here. Let me, let me share that with you, right? I've got that in my sack. And we go throughout our week, and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that we receive from God, we then live into that rhythm and share it with others. You with me? Um, where we get wrong is on either side, where we just focus on what are we receiving? What are we getting? What is God giving for me? How am I being fed? Etc. Etc. Receiving is important. It's primary. But if all you ever do is receive, then you're going to start to breed worms and stink. Maybe not. But it's it's a lesson, right? Spiritually speaking, you do. But then on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, you can just become so focused on what you're doing for God, what you're doing for others, and it's not going to be long before you feel burnt out, wiped out, and you'll start to get angry and resentful toward other people and perhaps even toward God. We need to live in that rhythm of receiving and responding, recognizing it first comes from him, and then we're able to give and share, share with others. Okay? I wish that, um, going back to last week, we talked about Labor Day, that I had um, returned to this um, hymn that Luther wrote on the Ten Commandments, which has this line about the Third Commandment, about the, remember the Sabbath day. You shall observe the worship day, he calls it, that peace may fill your home and pray, and put aside the work you do so that God may work in you. Hmm. Put aside the work you do so that God may work in you. That's what happens in worship. God goes to work in you. Freely you receive from him, so then freely you give to others. That's the rhythm of faith. All right, so let me stop there. That's what I want to cover for today, but other questions or comments or clarifications so far about anything that we talked about today or things that you're wondering about with, um, with worship or just kind of where we're going to go with this? Styles of worship, it could be a whole class. 
Yes, although in some ways it's kind of neither here nor there. So um, she asked about, I'm sorry, remind me of your name? Carolyn Burns. Carolyn asked about styles of worship. And um, I would say that the style of worship, it can certainly reflect a certain attitude here. But what we're looking at is really the deeper substance and structure and rhythm. So for example, just to, you know, use a simple example, you could have guitars, say, in your worship. That's, you know, that's, that's not how I roll when it comes to it, right? But you, you could have guitars, say, but still have this uh, fundamental structure of, of worship, that pattern of receiving and responding. So this isn't so much about a style, although I don't, I don't necessarily like using that, that word. But, um, but in many cases, I would say that there tends to be a closer correlation between a church that has more of um, kind of a, a praise band mentality and an attitude toward worship where it's basically about what we're doing for God. That, that does seem to happen many times. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Good. Other questions or uh, comments so far? Okay. Well, I'm excited to dig more deeply into this uh, with you. It's fun to be able to finish up before we get um, saved by the bell, as it were. Remember, we were all, bells were always ringing on us before um, we got finished, and the kids are still together. They haven't gone crazy yet. So thank you guys for gathering together. Next week... Uh, we're just getting started, but next week, um, Pastor Rob Ron from Lutheran Heritage Foundation is going to be with you, sharing about um, what w the work of this important ministry and sharing stories, incredible stories of um, things that he's seen and heard. So I hope that you'll come out for that. I'm going to be meeting with the confirmation families, um, so, but we're blessed and fortunate to have him with us. So in two weeks, we'll pick up the study again and, and carry the ball forward from there. All right? Thanks very much. Go in peace.